are listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5GUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. You have tuned in to episode number 403 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Hamshack, and this is our deep dive episode. And tonight we have an interview about a couple of projects that are sort of new on the horizon. They're both involved and uh, sort of adjunct to the M17 project that we've been talking about lately. And uh, they are MRefD and MVoice, and we're going to find out all about both of those from the author and core developer. And we'll get to that in a minute, but let's go ahead and introduce the general crew that we have on here. Cheryl is on assignment this evening, so she is not here. She's W5MOO, and I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. Good evening. So there you go. And the person we have in the background over there is Tom, N7TAE, November 7 Tango Alpha Echo, and he is the developer of MREF and or MREF D rather. It's not let's not forget that D. It's a demon. And M Voice. How are you doing tonight, Tom? Well, I can't complain, or rather, I do, but I can't <laughs> or shouldn't. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, I think things are going pretty well. Thanks very much for being on here tonight to talk a little about about some of your projects that you've got going up there on GitHub. And uh, the first thing we usually do when we bring an interviewee on in, though, is we talk a little bit about them or let them talk a little bit about themselves. So if you would, maybe give us a little history of uh, Tom when it comes to maybe amateur radio and uh, software development. Okay, very good. Uh, software development goes way, way back. I started in Unix about, uh, what, I think 49 years ago at University of California at San Diego. It was the first time I started using Unix systems, so uh, I've been around in the area for a very long time. I wrote my very first program when I was an undergraduate student, and I wrote my very first program that someone else used, which is kind of a milestone for any programmer, uh, while I was an undergraduate. And uh, so I've been dabbling in software for a very long time. Uh, I have, uh, I'm a, I got my license just almost exactly 10 years ago, 10 years ago last month, and uh, very quickly fell into digital voice uh, when I heard about it being discussed at a, at a ham meeting that I went to. And I got, um, recruited by the Quadnet team as the Quadnet programmer to help them with uh, fixing up a bot that's used in uh, IRCDDB and uh, kind of never looked back and have been heavily involved with Quadnet. Uh, about a year ago, I started noticing the M17 project. And uh, let's see, what happened? I didn't have time to work on it because I was very busy with some big projects on the quadnet and uh, kind of went away and then came back and started talking to the guys and started at, and I wanted to write some software for the M17 team. So I started asking them questions about what the packets look like and 
and uh, you know, I'm ready to write code. So what what do we do here? And um, uh, started talking to uh, Mike uh, W2FBI about the uh, about the packet structure, and there were some things I didn't like in the packet structure. So we went back and forth by mail for about a week, and after we got everything straightened off out. And I was happy with the information that I had, and he was happy with what I was telling him. I just started writing code and put together uh, the prototype uh, reflector and a client. Uh, and we, W1BSB and I tested it first on October 11th and made an announcement the next day that we had an M17 reflector and uh, a working client, and then it seemed like almost overnight there was like a dozen reflectors that had spun up all over the world. It was phenomenal how quickly uh, the reflectors were going in. So uh, it was quite exciting. And the guys, the M17 guys were really, really ecstatic to have so much attention and everybody being very enthusiastic about the reflectors and so forth. Uh, and so, uh, that's kind of the, my history in M17 in a nutshell. Yeah, very good. Did, did your early career or anything like at UCSD and from there on have anything to do with uh, audio engineering and radio and stuff like that? Or was this just something you were interested in? Uh, I am a chemist by training and I was very interested in the interface between computers and chemistry. And so I've always been doing uh chemistry chemical analysis in areas that require computational support so uh and i did it i specialized in a technique called nuclear magnetic resonance resonance that actually uses radio frequency it turns out that if you put almost any material in a very high magnetic field it will absorb and re-emit radio frequency energy and from the energy that it re-emits, you can actually work out the three-dimensional structure of the molecules that you're studying. So I got very, very interested in that. And uh, uh, so I've, I'm very familiar with RF hardware uh, from, you know, from DC to daylight, from audio frequencies all the way up to uh, the highest frequencies experiments that we did uh uh, that I did were at 600 megahertz, but uh, it was it's a very it's a fascinating area. Oh, good, very cool. I think Bill has dealt a little bit with some of that, maybe not in uh, chemistry specifically, but in like instrumentation and chemical analysis and things. Right? Didn't you do something like that, Bill? Oh yeah, analytical chemistry. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's been in the tool bag for for a while, but uh, uh, just deal with the mining company now in their laboratory. So. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, they do uh, XFRW and XFRE. So, mm-hmm. oh, very good. Well, you guys can have coffee someday and talk about it. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, we should probably move on to uh, MRFD, which is something you just brought up, and you were telling us about the fact that it's a reflector for the M17 project, and thereby creates a sort of central distribution point for MRF or for M17 packets, so people can talk to other people. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about MRFD specifically, and maybe let's get to the heart of the matter first. What language did you write it in or languages? 
and how did you license it? It is uh, it is written in C plus plus and it's derived from uh, XLX. Uh, I had been working on XLX code for quite a bit. Uh, um, the original XLX code I had been studying and we were using it at QuadNet. And I didn't like some of the structures I saw in there, so I decided I would rewrote, write, rewrite parts of it to suit my fancy. And so I was quite familiar with how the, how the program was put together and what goes where and what does what and stuff like that. And so when I started talking to the M17 team, I said, you know, I thought to myself, I, it would be very easy to take the, the, the basic framework of XLX, XLXD, and create MRefD for it. Uh, so that's that's the the nucleus of the idea that started MRefD. I basically ripped out all the multi-mode stuff and put in um, drivers to handle uh, M17 packets. I was gonna maybe go ahead if you weren't done. Yeah, I don't remember. I'd have to go look at the source code. I applied the same source license that that. Uh, it's GPL v three. I think that's yeah, GPL. Yeah, 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 that's right. It's the third version. Uh, so that's the same license that was under the, uh, the that XLXD was under. So I just applied the same license because I'm a little unsure about whether I could actually change the license like that without getting permission and so forth. So I just kept it with that license. Well, it seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And uh, there, I have a question about that at the end because I don't want to ask it here. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about MRefD. And I put in here, you know, it's it's obviously open source software. You can get it on GitHub. And so anyone can, of course, download the software and build it and have a an M17 reflector online. There is like a sort of authentication process. You have to go talk to the uh, KC1AWV sort of like coordinating reflectors, I think, right now. Um, but so, so why would you want to have one? Why would you want to have your own? Cause there's, I mean, I have my own, but I'm stupid like that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's lots of M17 reflectors out there, but why would someone want to like sort of build one to have one? Um, well, cause it's fun, first of all, <laughs> and, I agree with that. Uh, uh, it's, it's nice to have a reflector of your own that you can, you know, you can name the channels that you want and maybe run nets on them and do stuff. You don't actually have to register through the M17 site. If you want to become available on their website, you need to register. Steve's built a very nice registration site there. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, they, it was absolutely remarkable to see how quickly the network grew of reflectors and I, I was frankly kind of taken aback by it because there aren't any real radios yet for M17. Yet we've got, we've got, uh, I don't know, there must be four or five dozen reflectors out there that are, that are located all over the world. But, uh, uh, it's kind of fun to do the, the, uh, the audio, you know, the, Doug has come through with a great application, the, the, uh, Dude Star stuff and, and then, uh, so he kind of took over uh, my beginning, and and uh, it was uh, so I, I don't have a real good 
answer for you, Russ, but it, it's uh, it's just fun at this point. Well, I would have to agree with that because I've been having fun using my reflector, even though I haven't done it all that much, but at least it's out there and it's accessible. And now I have it linked to uh, the M17 M17 reflector so that uh, when they do their nets on Friday, it will actually come across my reflector as well. So that's kind of cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about setting it up. You download it, you get you get the source code, you can uh, get clone it or whatever. Uh, the build is relatively simple. Maybe walk through the, the, the build and uh, initial configuration. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of writing uh, bash scripts to help users get everything up and running. So I've got a configuration script that'll allow you to run through a text-based menu uh, to set the you know the name of the reflector and some attributes uh, regarding the reflector. So uh, it creates all the various configuration files, .h files, .mk files that are needed to to get the thing compiled and then you can compile it and install it, uh, from the make file. I'm, uh, I use, uh, make files. I really don't understand how, uh, the other make utilities work in Unix because make file is what I've learned and it, it's fulfilled my needs quite well. So I've stuck with it. Well, that's good. They're also pretty simple and pretty straightforward. So it's always a nice place to be when it comes to building software. Um, so you have, what's the, it's like R config or whatever that is the script that, that walks you through it. Yep. R config and, uh, R admin are the two scripts. Config is used to create the configuration that you want. And, uh, there are a couple of options in there. Uh, you can set it up to refuse clients that are coming in on the same IP, or you can have it accept clients that are coming in on the same IP. That can, my my days with QuadNet, I know that that can be cause problems sometimes when peop, when users innocently set up multiple clients in the same room and start turning on transmitters and keying everything and you get loopbacks and stuff like that. So I decided to put that under a configurable parameter. You can change the number of uh of modules if you want and uh let's see i kind of forgotten what else is in there but uh and uh one of the things that i did on the quadnet reflectors was uh introduce ipv6 so you can configure this to run in a, either a single stack or dual stack mode it can be ipv4 only it can be ipv6 only or it can be dual stack and uh, support both, and uh, that gives you a little bit of fruit future proofing uh, because, uh, well, you know, at server farms, you can buy servers that are IPv6 only that are cheaper than than dual stack servers. So I think there's going to be more and more pressure on IPv4 addresses as time goes on. So it's nice to have an IPv6 option for all of this stuff. Yeah, very good. I actually run mine dual stack, so, you know, Gotta, gotta stay up in the world and keep on that IPv6. They said it was gonna be the only thing in the world, you know, 10 years ago, and IPv4 still around, so. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite run out of dresses yet. <laughs> no, they, that's because they keep natting everything and pushing everything back, and yeah. But that's, that's a story for another time. So you also have the idea of whitelisting and blacklisting, so you can have clients or allow certain clients or disallow certain clients in case you don't want people connecting. What happens in a conflict? Or does it matter if somebody happens to spin up a 
a reflector, if you don't register it, is there any issue with one picking one that's already existing? Um, there would only be a uh, problem if they tried to register uh, um, because it's the IP address that you're connecting to. Um, so, you know, if you try to register something with the same name, that would be a problem, and Steve won't allow that. If a name is taken, you can't take that name. Uh, but, um, you know, the clients, both both Mvoice and uh, and Doug eighty eight DP's uh, Dude Star stuff downloads uh, the list of um, reflectors and IP addresses from his website. Uh, so, uh, if you're not going to use that data, you would have to manually enter that into your clients to connect to another system, which you could do. I mean, you, I own the USA reflector and somebody could start up a USA reflector and never report it to the, uh, never report it to the M17 site. And as long as people knew how to connect to that USA reflector, they could do it. So. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at. So, um, yeah. So only when it comes to registering the site is where the coordination comes in and where you eliminate duplicates and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's interesting and Steve is still working on this is that of course, XLXD uses a mesh networking interlinking model. And it's a, it's a very, it's, it's a very ingenious model that, that gives you absolutely best performance as far as latency is concerned because you would link to everybody else that's in the mesh network. So there, so packets would only pass across a single hop, uh, across an internetwork connection. Uh, now the, the downside of that is it takes quite a bit of people skills to get everybody on board so that you, so that everybody in a group is, 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 uh, cross-linking to everybody else in the group. Because it doesn't work if if there's a missing link someplace in that star that mesh network, but uh, uh, that's I think that's one of the cool features and new ideas brought by uh, Luke and Luke in the on the XLX uh, technology and and uh, of course that's incorporated in MRFD. All right, very good. Like I said, I, I've set up a single link, so that's easy to coordinate. But of course, if you as you tack things on, it becomes more and more difficult and uh, obtrusive because everybody has to be linked to everybody else. But uh, one of the small prices to pay, I guess, for linking. So, uh, so what what do you see as like the benefits of linking across different reflectors like that? Uh, well, it, it it makes it easier for people to connect to a big network, right? So that's that's the main thing. Uh, you know, we've got this massive interlinked group. Uh, uh, USA Alpha shares with, uh, I think there's 10 in my list right now. There's 10 reflectors all over the world that share the same thing. So, so if somebody's in Great Britain, they can, they can link to the Great Britain reflector and still get on this, this worldwide channel. So in that sense, you know, it's like a massive talk group in DMR if you will, or, or, uh, something like that. And it's, it's nice to be able to connect to a local system and then worry about, and then you don't have to worry about whether your site at your client 
has good connectivity to to uh, the USA reflector, for example, if you're sitting in Boland or Great Britain or, you know, any of these other sites that I'm linked to. So uh, it just makes it convenient for the users to uh, connect up. Now, the, the one of the rules about this is you have to link module letter to module letter. So we all share channel A uh, in this, in this mesh network. So that's, you can't, can't, some new guy can't come in and say, Oh, I want to link my module E to this big net network. No, the code won't let you do that. Is that a design consideration? Is it a, what's the, the thought process behind that? Well, you'd have to ask Luke, that question, but I, I'm sure it's just to keep things simple as possible. It's confusing enough to try to manage, uh, you know, a, a 10 or 15 reflector supergroup. Uh, because if somebody new comes in, you got to coordinate with all the other people in the group saying, okay, everybody needs to add this to their interlink file. And, uh, uh, so. I think it's just a matter of trying to keep it simple, stupid kind of thing. Yeah, it makes makes perfect sense, actually. So let's see, what else can I think of about MRFD? Um, oh, well, like the GUI part of it. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, is there, I mean, all you have is sort of an insight into like what modules there are, and there's a sub page you can get to which shows your interlinks. Um, are you guys going to build out like uh, like All Star has like a bubble chart kind of thing so you can see the network? You probably need to have another interview with Steve about that, but I think he is thinking about things like that so that we could we you could click on a system and and show all the other sites that it's listed listed to. He is building a tool to make allow it to allow groups to get together more easily. So once a group starts nucleating on the website, then a new person can come in and say, oh, that channel D, that looks very interesting. I think I'd like to hook my reflector channel D to that so that you could go to the website, make a request, and then it'll shoot out emails to all the other people saying, uh, you know, there's a new, there's a new reflector, uh, from, pick a country, I don't know, uh, Morocco, and they want to join, uh, they want to join, um, this reflector group. So it will help you manage that so the, more easily. So the, right. So the GUI overlay part of MRFD, is that completely done by Steve or did you write that and he's expanding on it or what's the, yeah, he's in charge of the web, uh, the w- website. He's much more, I'm not, I'm not a very good HTML programmer. I can muddle my way through stuff, but uh, uh, so I let him take over. In fact, you know, uh, when you installed your system, you downloaded the uh, uh, the dashboard from his website, not mine. All right, then we'll definitely have to hit him up then and talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah, but uh, he's got some big plans, I think. But I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you what they are because I don't know. Some of them are quite ambitious and will take quite a bit of work to get completed. But there are some plans to make it easier for reflectors to link up in a more organized way. All right, good. Well, I have an idea about that, too, and that's uh, maybe timed linking so that if there are nets on certain links, you could have them come up and down 
as necessary to free up modules. That may be something that's a little too ambitious, but it sounds like a good idea to me until someone tells me otherwise. <laughs> uh, that is pretty ambitious. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> um, but anyway... So, uh, what what do you see as the future of uh, MRFD? Uh, is it is it pretty much like good and stable? Uh, just tweaks and updates here and there, or are there feature things you're thinking about, or or where's it going? Well, uh, I mean, the 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 code is very stable. I doubt if your system has ever crashed. No, uh, it, it's quite stable. But I still consider it prototype because. We haven't cast in brass exactly what the packets are going to look like, and there's still, you know, there's there's lots of questions about what the um, what the electromagnetic packets are going to look like, and then there's other questions about well, will that actually affect the internet packets, and 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 until all of that stuff is squared away, all of this stuff is very prototypical, in my opinion. All right, very good. And I let me ask my question that I was going to ask earlier, or that I didn't ask earlier, and that is, um, let's see, how do I word this? Is is M seventeen? So why is M seventeen just not part of XLXD, and will it ever be? You know, when I first started considering volunteering my time in the M seventeen group, I I had this grand idea that I was just going to make M seventeen another mode in. Uh, in XLXD, uh, and and that is very ambitious because of the way that the current uh, AMBD daemon works with XLXD. So you would have to completely take that thing apart and put it back together with the software uh, vocoders of M17. Which that's not, it's certainly not an impossible task, but it's a, it's a bit more ambitious than I really want to get involved with at this time. <laughs> okay. Absolutely fair enough. So this actually leads nicely into, unless you got something, Bill, because I was about to segue into the next topic. No, it sounds good. Okay. So the segue here is, as you said before earlier in the interview, there are no radios that do M17. So everything is done across the internet now using clients. And one of those clients we've already interviewed uh, ADATP about, which is Dude Star, but you have your own client, which is M Voice, and that's the other thing we wanted to talk about. So yeah, the, the first the first client, <laughs> right? The first and very specific M seventeen client. Right. So so let's talk a little bit about M Voice. So obviously you can get it from the same place, your GitHub site. Yep. Uh, the download and build is super simple. Uh, did that myself couple of quick configurations, putting in call sign and whatnot, and you're up and running. So uh, pretty straightforward. But So let's talk about what it doesn't do versus D-Star and what it does in addition to what D-Star does. Or Dude-Star, not D-Star. <laughs> um, well, it's a very simple client. It only does M17, and that's the main difference between uh, Dude-Star, which does everything, and M17, which only does... Uh, only does M uh, and M voice, which only does M17. So it's a very simple client. It's actually based on another program that I had been working on. You know, this was kind of like a confluence of, of good things that happened to me because I had been working on XLX code vigorously. I have been rewriting major portions of it. Uh, and so I was quite familiar with that code. 
I have another program called Digital Voice that uses a Northwest Digital Ambi chip to do D-Star. And I used that as a basis to develop M17. At first, I was going to put M17 in there as just another mode. And then I thought, you know, that's going to get complicated because I'm, I like to build things that are very simple and as small as possible. So I tend to have lots of little programs that do things. Uh, and so I didn't want to incorporate M17 in the, into the digital voice program. Uh, and so I just kind of cloned it and started over and built it up as a unique, uh, as a unique, you know, as an M17 only client. So it's very simple, uh, very easy to use. Uh, the, the one thing that people have problems with is, is, uh, getting audio to work, especially if they're using, uh, uh like a Raspberry Pi and stuff, because I, I haven't looked lately, but the, the base version of Raspbian OS doesn't have everything that you need, uh, to, for pulse audio and stuff like that. And, uh, so you have to install some special packages and that kind of confuses a lot of beginners who are trying to build this up. But one of my missions in life that I feel is my personal responsibility is to drag as many hams as possible into Linux because <laughs> I'm trying to get them away from Windows and get them into Linux. And so I don't make uh, pre-compiled versions. I don't make image disk images like a Pistar disk image or anything like that. You have to install the OS and and then download my program and build it. And so uh, it's easy to do. It's not that difficult. And I really would. Uh, I mean, if I can say that when my time's over, that I that I turned a hundred hams into Linux hams, then I did something really good. All right. Well, you're definitely on the same boat we're on. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <Yeah>, nice. absolutely. <laughs> so, um, one one of the things that Envoice does that DudeStar doesn't, because DudeStar is a more globalist approach than Envoice. Uh, Envoice actually will link you to their reflector dashboards of various sites if you want to see like what's going on with each individual site. You can do that right from the UI. Right. So, so that I, I like. Is there any other part of the UI that you'd like to point out that might be different than uh, DudeStar, or do you just think everybody should use DudeStar? And I hate to say that because you you wrote the original client, and why would it, you know? Um, but I mean, Envoice, it's it's to me, it's it's a little tighter and a little better looking than DudeStar, um, but it does it does focus entirely on M17. So yep, there. yep, yep. I think I think the attraction for dudes for for. Uh, for M17 over DudeStar, is it some, it's something you're going to build yourself. You're going to download, make sure you have the, the needed packages to compile it and build it and install it. And along that way, if you've never done that, you're going to learn a lot about Linux. Uh, so I think that's one of the big attractions for it. And, and like I say, I like to build stuff that's small, well-focused on what it does, and it's not like the utility knife of, you know, the, the, uh, the Swiss army knife of tools kind of thing. I like, uh, just individual tools for individual purposes. And I don't recall, but M17 does not require like a DMR ID, right? It, it uses call sign only. That's correct. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah. So it's like it's like fusion in that regard. It uses your call sign as your identifier, not not yeah. a Yeah, you, you know, an interesting subtopic here is how to build uh, a uh regex expression that will accept any call any valid call sign in the world. That's a very difficult task to build a regex expression in C or C code or any other code for that matter. But I have a pretty good one and it will reject call signs that don't look like real call signs. But, uh, you know, we have a similar problem on Quadnet. We have an IRC net, IRC routing network for DSTAR, but we don't require registration. We only tell you that you need to use your valid license from the country in which it was uh, that you got it and so and and we occasionally get people that are doing the wrong thing and we'll kick them off the network and stuff like that so but anyway yeah there no id is required uh, no uh, uh dmr id is required just a uh, a valid call sign and that is literally the only configuration of mvoice that you have to do is put in your call sign. Then you can select a reflector, a module, and uh, you're ready to push to talk. So, yep, yep. And I like, uh, you know, I like Pulse Audio because once you install Pulse Audio, you can generally just leave your audio devices on the default. And if you want to use your speaker and microphone that's on your laptop, it'll use that. Or if you plug in a headset. Uh, most Linux distributions will switch you over automatically to the, uh, to the headset. Uh, so the default device is usually the nice place to leave that. The other thing that you can do is if you want to play around with it, you can go to the slower bitrate codec because M17 supports a 3200 bit per second codec and a 1600 bit per second codec. And so you can try the 16-bit out it, if you like. And it's got a full echo capability that where it does the vocoding and, de, you know, encoding and decoding. So you can hear what you sound like and see if you can detect any differences between uh, 1600 uh, baud and, and uh, 3200 baud. All right. Very cool. So I know I know you were saying that there wasn't a whole lot to invoice. And when we've sort of already really gone deep into Dude Star, you know, it's, it's sort of the same thing, but only for M- M17. It's just that you happen to do it first because you wrote the reflector software, you wrote the client, all that stuff. So, are you continuing to work on MVoice, or are you gonna are you gonna call it good and uh, just let sort of Dude Star blossom into whatever it's gonna be? I I, I have some plans uh, for a sister app. I'm thinking about building a text only MVoice that has no GUI associated with it. Because several people have contacted me saying, you know, that'd be really, really nice if I could have a text-only system. So I'm I'm beginning to put some brain cells around that about how I might do that. But uh, um, and of course, you know, anybody who comes up with any bugs or something, I will I will give those uh, priority for M uh, M Voice. I have no idea how many people are using it nowadays. I think it's probably one in 10 or one in a hundred people use mvoice compared to dude star but uh, uh well there it is <laughs> yeah well can't have everything right i mean i've I've used them both i like them both and um i know bill's used them both for sure yeah 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 i like the i like the invoice uh, client there on linux that works that works 
spectacular. <laughs> well, another, uh, you know, on the phone, then I have to use the, you know, the, the, the droid star. But, uh, uh, but other than that, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great client. Yeah. D- Doug's a great guy and he is so energetic, man. Oh man. He is, uh, he's just all over the map with, with ideas and, and stuff like that. And, uh, all of his transcoding stuff is just wonderful. And, uh, but, uh, uh, I, I take a different approach. He, he likes QT and I'm not a big fan of QT. I like to do things differently. Uh, I've played around with QT a little bit. It's hot and heavy. I don't like it too much. And I like, like I say, I like to build s- s- small things. I think there's some art in making small things. Yeah. So yours is built using what GTK, uh, GTK MM. Yeah. And it's, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't like it too much. Uh, if you read my, um, read me, there, there are some bugs in it that I haven't been able to overcome. At least I consider them bugs. They would, they might, there's some people that might argue that those are features of GTK MM, but, uh, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm considering using, what is it? The F, F light, FL light, or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, but FLTK. Yeah, yeah, FLTK. FLTK yeah. That's it. Yeah, uh, I would consider that. But actually, I think I'm kind of more interested in trying to build a text-based client because uh, that might have some interesting applications where people want to put their own front end on it, and then you can spin that up in a lot of different ways. What about creating like uh, API? Or passing the audio in and out or whatever, so people can put it in a web app or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know exactly what's involved in that. Like I say, I'm not a, uh, uh, you know, my my partner over at at uh, Quadnet is Colby W1BSB. Uh, he, I would need his help to to work on some of those things. He's a much better uh, system administrator than I am, and uh, kind of like. Over at Quadnet, I build the bricks, and then he builds the buildings out of the bricks. So, uh, but anyway, yeah. So ideas like that, you know, could you could you build components that could be incorporated into into a web page? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, cool. So I've got two more questions for you, and I don't see any in the chat room, and I don't know if Bill's got anything. You got anything? Uh, not specifically. I was uh, I was just looking through the issue list there, which looks like enhancement requests. <laughs> <laughs> on invoice and when I'm doing a, a push to talk with a GPIO pin off of a, off of a Raspberry Pi, that would right, probably right, fit well right. with a uh, text-based one, right? If we're going to go ahead. Yep. I've heard headless. that one before. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't really have much more. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, my, you know, our usual last question, which is actually going to be our second to last question this time, because I'm going to open up a box of worms after that is, um, is there anything uh, you, about MRFD or MVoice that we didn't touch on tonight that you'd like to mention or uh, anything about these projects that you, you know we should have talked about but didn't? Well, I think uh, the, the one thing, you know, just about the M17 project, it's a wonderful open source project. Uh, you know, I kind of view uh, software development as the new frontier in ham radio because, you know, when I was a kid, uh, hams, the hams bought radios, but the real hams made their own radios. They soldered together, uh, resistors and capacitors and, 
and tubes and power, you know, transformers and made their own radios. And that's very hard to do nowadays, especially with the kinds, you know, the surface mounted devices and so forth. And there are people, there are plenty of talented hams that, that can build stuff like that, but not that many, you know, uh, I said plenty and not that many in the same sentence, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's, I kind of consider software the new frontier in ham radio. And it's a, if there's people that are interested in the N17 project, they should get on board and, and contribute. There's all, every, week there's some new guys on the IRC chat room asking questions and stuff and and uh and uh people coming in with new ideas what well, hey what about this and what about that and uh you know there is a lot of development work on the hardware side and and it would be unfair to say that there's no RF going on there is some experimental RF going on and if you follow the chat room you'll you'll see uh some of the kinds of things they're doing uh uh, I know Jonathan Naylor is working very hard to uh, make Evans M17 a part of the MMDVM host package, and that'll really open things up because then it'll end up in PyStar and then it'll be everywhere, right? So uh, uh, there's if if you want to if you're a ham that's interested in this, consider working with us on the M17 project, especially if you got good ideas and. No, I have some idea of how to implement them. Oh, very good. A good endorsement there. And yes, if you want to be part of the M17 project or anything that's an adjunct of it, please get involved. Links to all the relevant places to get in touch with the developers and so on will be in the show notes. So my last question is where I open up a can of worms. <laughs> I'm going to try not to go too far off topic, but I figured I would. this, this interview didn't go too long, so I'm going to ask this here. Um, you're, you're building a new XLXD reflector, which presumably is based on the old one or the one that was developed by the other developers that you named that I can't remember. Here's my situation. <laughs> I'm, I'm running an XLX reflector and I'm also having to run YSF reflector because I have a specific YSF room ID or reflector ID that I want to use. And X, the old XLXD randomizes that and doesn't allow you to code one. Will the new one allow you to do that? Or is there some reason why you can't? Or or is this a feature request I should put in or what? Um, I don't, I haven't added any new features into the, uh, into the YSF capability of the new XLXD. So whatever was there is still there. And I don't think I've changed it too much about the only thing I've done is if you want to do direct connects to an XLX reflector, I've built up be, uh, a system where you where user, users can register their frequency because the it, it, there's some weird thing that goes on with the XLX that if you connect directly, the the uh, the reflector provides the frequency on which you operate when it pushes back that massive packet that contains the information on how to connect to the different modules. So you can register your frequencies. Uh, there's, a, there's a feature in New XLXD where you can build a website and it'll register, set up a little database so that uh, you can register your frequencies. And then the New XLXD will capture those. You know, if you go to the to the chat rooms that are available for XLXD, I think Luke has said that he's he's planning on doing that, but he said that 
about a year and a half ago, and there's still nothing there. So I went ahead and built it for new XLXD. Now I may be wrong. Maybe they maybe they finally got something working. But anyway, that's. Uh, but in, in terms of what you're talking about, Russ, I don't think uh, I don't think I've I can offer you any any uh, major help at least in, without understanding the problem better. Oh, that's all right. I, I've I've solved the problem by changing the header file um, that defines the port numbers in XLXD so that it puts YSF on 42001. Uh, and then I just run YSF reflector separately normally on port 42000. That way it's, it's literally connecting to two different things. The only problem therein is there's no way to get the fusion packets into you know, D-Star or whatever if I had an Ambi chip because they're not connected to the same XLX. They're running on the same machine, but it's not the same reflector. So I would love for it to be the same reflector, but I can't I can't do those randomized uh, IDs, room yeah, IDs. Yeah, at QuadNet, we, you know, we were kind of disappointed to find out that if, if you want to set up a multi-mode network of interlinked reflectors, you had to have ambi chips installed on every reflector. That was definitely a downer for us when we realized that. Uh, so one of the things we did is to say, okay, we're going to crack that nut in a different way. Uh, we'll, um, uh, we'll provide outgoing XRF links, outgoing uh, reflector links to uh, new XLXD so that then we can link up just ordinary reflectors to it. And so we can still have a fairly large network with multiple reflectors and still operate it on a single on a single chip, you know, on a single uh, um, ambi chip. Well, it's actually a dual ambi chip, but yeah. And one nice thing about M17 is it does not require an ambi chip. <laughs> so. Right, right, but it doesn't do any uh, cross mode work then, though, too. Well, that's true, but M17 at least uses a codec that does not require a proprietary encoder chip. Oh, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking one thing, and you're saying something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, it would be nice to be able to cross-link, say, M17 to D-Star at some point, but, of course, always, you know, Ambi. So, um, okay, well, I don't see anything in the chat room, and I don't have any more questions for you. So unless Bill just, like, magically popped up with a question, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. No, no, everything is uh, organized very well in GitHub. Uh, anybody being able to go in there and uh, take a look at it is uh, what they should do. Um, obviously you are using the issues, uh, function in there. So people can, uh, go in there and add, uh, you know, questions, enhancement requests or whatever, or they can obviously hit your, uh, which, uh, which, um, IRC, uh, server are you guys on the free node or who you mean the M17 group? Uh, yeah, well, M17 is on free node and right. XLX is on what free node as well. XLX. No, I don't have uh, an IRC chat for XLX. Oh, okay. Okay. So M17 is the way to go then. Yep. Yep. I mean, uh, we, I do XLXD is uh, new XLX repository is there because I'm an open source guy, but it was created for uh, the quadnet group. And it specifically fills the needs that we have. It has outgoing reflector capability, uh, outgoing linking capability, uh, and it has ways to register uh, YSF sites and stuff. So we built in the 
pieces that we felt were missing. I've massively re redesigned that code. Um, it, it, I didn't like some of the choices for containers that Luke used. In fact, he almost used exclusive vector containers, and that's not the best choice for many of the jobs in that uh, in in the uh, code. So I I redesigned that port. I built in IPv6 support, and uh, what else did I do? Oh, I've got smart the things based on smart pointers now. All packets are tracked by smart pointers. That makes uh, uh, the that increase the stability of the code about a factor of 10 when I did that, by the way. So uh, it's massively redesigned from code. All right, cool. Well, that's it. <laughs> Hate to come down to it so abruptly, but there, there's nothing else here. So we just want to thank you, Tom, and 7TAE for coming on here tonight and talking to us about the uh, MRFD and MVoice projects and a little bit about M17, which I'm hoping we hear a lot more about as time goes on. But uh, thanks again, and maybe we'll catch up to you a little bit later when there's some more development with M17, MRFD, and linking and all the stuff that's going to come out of that, and especially if and when, uh, presumably when, that it winds up showing up in Pystar, which is going to make it be a global project and everyone will have access to it. Yeah, that that's going to be a, a very exciting event. Uh, I, I think I've seen some recent notes from Jonathan that he's getting very close to pushing up some uh, some major changes in that area. But uh, anyway, Russ, Bill, it was a pleasure talking to you guys, and uh, uh, you're doing a great job with this uh, podcast, and uh, carry on. Good topics that you guys bring up. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, it's because of people like you that we're able to provide good topics like that. And before we let you go, Tom, or not Tom, Fred, N2NRV in the chat room says, thank you, Tom, for your involvement with QuadNet and M17. Well, thank you. All right, Tom, thanks very much, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. And before we get out of here tonight, we do have a couple of announcements we should make. Uh, the first one being that the QSO Today Virtual Ham Expo giveaway merchandise that uh, people won while we were doing that will be shipped out in the next week. So you're probably going to get it in the next one to two weeks. Things are rather busy around here, but I will get it done. Don't worry. It'll all happen. You'll get it. Uh, the folks who won the Raspberry Pi 400 kits have already received them. So thanks to Bill and Tony for, for getting those out there really quick and into the hands of listeners. And the last thing we should mention is the KA6 LMS special event station from Last Man Standing. As of the time this recording gets released, I think there's only two more days left. And if you're listening to this now, you've already missed the, like, the weekend, the Super Saturday and the Super Sunday. There's still time to make contacts with KA6LMS. Uh, the last man standing, they're, they're going off the air after, what was it, nine, ten seasons? Nine seasons? I forget how many. Something episodes. like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they'll be out there working for the next couple of days, so get involved and make contact with KA6LMS. And thanks to John... Amadeo for kicking us in the ass and saying, Hey, don't forget to mention this. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And one last thing we should do before we get on out of here is mention the folks who are with us live in the chat room tonight and listening to us on the live stream. We had Don KC9ZMY, Ted WA0EIR, Fred N2NRV and Darren VK6EK. Thanks everybody who supports the show in whatever way you decide to support it. And for those who join us live and chit chat with us and become part of the live broadcast. We appreciate each and every one of you.
That's the end of the show. We are down to the bottom, and so we'll go ahead and sign off and say, uh, for Cheryl, W5MOO, who is on assignment this week, this has been episode number 403 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The show is recorded live every Thursday at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord you can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW that's 1-909-547-7469 visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show themed merchandise become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. <laughs> <laughs>